Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Good morning. How are you? I went, I'm just turning the mic on and I, I, I feel like I pulled something. I'm so old. Pulling a muscle before I walk up four stairs. That's not good. That's not a good sign, is it? Hey, welcome to church. If you're new, uh, I'm old and I'm Lucas. No, I'm just, uh, welcome here. Welcome here. I want to just double down on something Pastor Lisa said. If you are new, if it's your first time, if you're just visiting, we really want you to get connected. We just know that a lot of people are coming in the summer and maybe even moving to Victoria. We hope this place feels like home for you and we hope it becomes a home for you. And so please uh, take us up on our offer when we say come meet someone in the atrium afterwards, grab a coffee on us. We'd love to get to know you a bit more. Let me get you caught up. We are in a series uh, titled Acts. We're going through the book of Acts. And um, two weeks ago, we actually kicked this series off where we talked through Acts 1 and 2. We talked about baptisms. We actually had baptisms on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, which was amazing. I think in total, with West Shore, which did baptisms the week after, we had over 35. Do we have four, zero? 40 people got baptized in the last two weeks in this church. Okay, church, really quick. That was a golf clap. That's when someone sinks a two-footer, okay? We, we just drove the ball 430 yards down the fairway, and we're lining up to chip. 40 people got baptized last, last couple Sundays. Now I feel it. Now I'm feeling like I'm at the Masters and we're, 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 we're in the hunt for the lead. That was great. Let's keep that up throughout the whole sermon, okay? Acts 1 and 2 is interesting because you have the disciples who have come together. The upper room takes place where the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They begin to speak in other tongues. They feel empowered to go. Peter preaches a fantastic sermon. Over 3,000 people are baptized and saved that day, the Bible says. What I find interesting about kind of the context we find ourselves in, imagine you're the disciples. You've walked with Jesus for three years, hand in hand, face to face. You've sat, you've had meals, you've learned, you've gleaned all this wisdom, and now he's gone. And yet, you feel the same closeness, the same intimacy that that they once did. So what's changed? Well, now it's the Holy Spirit in us, right? Like this this has moved them and it's changed them. And so they've had this experience they can't really comprehend and yet they feel so close to God. And it's because the Holy Spirit has come and and, and is is a part of their heart and is in their heart and he is living in them and working through them. And we see that. And I want to just bring us back really quick to Acts 1.8. This is kind of our key verse for part one of Acts. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will receive power, right? This is really important. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. This is really important. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be, not if you feel like it. Not when it it goes okay today. And I think this is, again, for two reasons. You have the apostles now who have learned and trained underneath their rabbi. Of course, it's time, it's time to move forward. It's time not just to, to listen and learn, but to even become the teacher and to help and to preach and to do the same ministry. But also this, they've received this power, and friends, there is no turning back. Something is different. They are moved to speak. They are moved to preach. They are moved to encounter people, and the church is being born. And so this is where we kind of pick up the story. We're in Acts 3, and, and actually even before we read Acts 3, I want to just remind you, there's, there's sometimes scriptures that we kind of make very sentimental. We're almost like, 
uh, yeah, it's like we sentimentalize them in terms of we've heard them once at camp or something, and now it's just like, oh, I love that sermon, or I love that story. Mark 2 is a good one, right? Where they cut the, the hole in the roof and they lowered the person down, and your faith is, oh, we love that. Ephesians 2, right? We love kind of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's like this powerful verse, and we love it. And Acts 3 is kind of one of those two, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, get up and walk. But can I be honest, this scripture is all of Acts 3. You can't have Acts 3 without verses like 11 through the rest. We kind of always stop at 10, and I don't want us to. There's a moment here, a conversation, and can I just say, this is not how conversations usually go for me. I am the classic guy who thinks the conversation is going one way, and then it just, it, it goes this, like it goes the complete opposite Wait, you can probably tell with the way I preach. It's like, yeah, this guy gets himself in trouble. Um, I'll never forget, even like thinking of the first time I ever asked my wife out. It was at the New Spade camp. Come on, somebody. And um, the three of us who asked out our future spouses at camp. Um, I never forget it. I saw her and she was walking to the washroom and I like jumped over the bench. It's all cool. And you know when you, you, I, was, I was young, so I strutted. You know the strut? To, you're trying to look cool when really you just look like an idiot. And I just remember being like, like, he just didn't even know what to say. It was puberty. It was, anyways, um, I remember saying, hey, how are you? And she went, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Like, you know, you know when you do that? The three, you're like, I already, I already said that. Okay, anyways, what are you up to? Going to the washroom. She had, like, her towel, her shampoo. Like, she clearly had just played sports and was headed to go take a shower. I was like, oh, you should take a shower. Yeah, it's good because you stink. And then I just bulldozed through that. Like, I didn't stop, and I wasn't like, no, what I meant to say, I was like, yeah, <laughs> anyway, want to go to the bank with me? Like, I just, word vomit constantly happening. And the friends, I'm like, I wish I had a, I really wish I had a wingman at that point to be like, stop talking, here's what he wants to say, you know? Listen, 12 years later, it's my wife, so let's, it's, we're fine, it worked. Boy charm just happened. You don't have to clap, it was terrible. No, no, don't clap for that. You're just giving young men bad advice right now by doing that. Don't tell them to tell women they stink. That's not going to help them, okay? Wanting the conversation to go one way, it going another. And what we're about to see is John and Peter have this beautiful encounter. And honestly, the way the conversation happens, I would not have expected the result that happens. And I've even tried very much so exactly what they say in our local context. And very rarely does it happen this way. Let me read it to you. It's page 884 and 885 in your, the blue Bible in front of you. And of course, it's always on the screen. It says this in Acts 3, starting in verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Look at us. So the man gave him, uh, excuse me, the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And, there, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Again, what a wild story. And for us, we read that as Christians and we think, thank you, Lord. What's for lunch? You know, a little bit. I don't think we sit and listen and, and like, think of this man's context. Every morning he's picked up. 
He's brought from birth, like from wherever he slept, laid down to beg. Picked back up, brought to his bed. From bed to beggar, every single day. He has nothing else. He wants help. He wants material help. He needs some money. He needs some practical help, maybe a full stomach. Anything in this moment to make his pain and suffering slightly less painful. And I think in our sort of kind of Western culture justice mindset, which is good, by the way, I, I like that, we're, especially the younger generation, we're justice focused. Right away, we want to help. We want to jump on this thing. We want to repost this. We want to support that cause. I want to make sure I'm putting this in my body, whatever, donate to the cause, jump on this rally, post the picture. And I just wonder sometimes if we're so focused on helping people the way they want to be helped, we forgot to listen to the Holy Spirit in really powerful moments like this. Because here's the thing. The Holy Spirit does the work you don't know you need. We're so focused on the work that we can help with, that we can tangibly give in the moment that we're in, that we forget that the Holy Spirit does work in us. We did not know we needed. We didn't know we needed to hear. We didn't know we needed to feel because we're blinded by our own perspective and hurt. We're blinded by our own suffering and heartache. We're blinded by what we see right in front of us. And the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us so often, listen, it's not just what this person thinks they need. It's what they actually need to properly heal. And so I just want to challenge you. I'm not saying you can't help this person or give somebody this way. The Holy, but the Holy Spirit is not blind. He's so aware. He is so over what we want. Yes, but also what we need. And so I just wonder if we would maybe not always suggest that, hey, I only help people the way they want to be helped. Otherwise, what kind of help can I be? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Are you allowing him to, to talk to you about what you're actually called to do or to go and to say or how to, how to give? Before you jump to a cause to help, I just wonder if you would listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Rather than just assuming we can make someone's day by just feeling a material need, do we ask the question, what do they spiritually need? Those are different questions to ask. And I'm not suggesting, again, you can't help in that way. I just want to say the Holy Spirit knows a much deeper work that needs to happen. I was just at a conference this week, and I can tell you I went with, with a lot of different ideas and, and preconceived notions of what I thought I needed spiritually. And what I received was far different, and friends, it was far better. I even think for some of us, we just heard a, a beautiful announcement about Coastline College. And there's people in here who know this is for them, who are headed into a gap year, who feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And yet for you, you're like, ah, but you know, this is probably a better fit for me. Ah, uh, maybe mom and dad will be better with UVic, whatever. Maybe, but maybe a conversation needs to happen. Maybe more prayer needs to happen. Maybe you need to ask Holy Spirit, what are you doing in my heart right now? Maybe I shouldn't just jump to trying to fix something in my own strength, but asking the Holy Spirit, what are you trying to do in the moment that is greater than what I can see? I want to do that. I want to ask the Holy Spirit for, for encounters with him. I want to have an encounter like Acts 3, but I know I first need to talk to the Holy Spirit and say, what are you actually prompting me to do rather than trying to fix it with my own hands? He said, look at me, right, in verse 4 and 5. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. The context here is interesting. The beautiful gate was quite literally a beautiful gate. It had silver and gold, some say rubies, some say all sorts of gems. So you can imagine this, this man sitting there every single day looking up and seeing silver and gold, just hoping to reach, to grab, just hoping to get a little something, just begging, looking up at what he thinks he needs when in fact he's about to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. He's so focused on this gate, he's seeing it every single day, put there hoping that someone who has some money will help him out, thinking that money is going to solve the issue. That's all I really need here. 
You have a man who's asking for money underneath a gate, covered in money, if you will, and Peter's saying, you don't need that. I want to give you something better, or better yet, someone better, amen? Like, this is not, it's not a thing you need. Friends, sometimes we're so eager to help, we don't ask the Holy Spirit what actually needs to happen. I want to say this to someone in this room. The greatest thing about you is not your wallet. Moms and dads in here, the greatest deposit that you have in your heart is not just some lessons learned, some money to give to your kids. The greatest withdrawal you can take is out of the Holy Spirit and it's the de- depositing that promise in your kids. It's remembering you're not just a, a bank or money, you're not just what your job or your success. The greatest thing you have, if you are a Christian in here, is the Holy Spirit. That is what we need to freely give exponentially more than just a few bucks or, or, or this or that. Stop thinking about the things you can give and what about the person of Jesus that you have an encounter with. That is the greatest gift we have to give anyone. Amen? And I know it goes a little bit different. It's, it's different to the cultural narrative of only helping people they want, the way they want to be helped. Again, I'm not saying we don't... You know, treat things with nuance and, and, and we're not careful with compassion. All those things matter. But as a Christian, like, that's why they're like, I don't, I don't have what you, what you think you need, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the thing you, your heart actually so desires. He's sharing his faith. And I wonder too if this would just shift our thinking on evangelism. Because even that term comes loaded for many people. And I just wonder if we would shift it from let me share my faith with you to let me freely give the greatest thing I've ever discovered. Changes our whole perspective. The Bible says that he jumped to his feet, went into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. And then this is that final verse again, verse 10. It says, and they were filled, this is all the people watching, were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And again, we love to stop the sermon there. But notice that This miracle piqued people's interests, but it didn't convince people of Jesus. It it, it sparked something, maybe some curiosity, but it didn't convict their hearts. Very different. We don't want to end with just wonder and amazement. Friends, I have lots of conversations, specifically with young adults often, with people always asking questions like this. Their interest is piqued. They're curious, and they ask questions like, how did God create the earth in seven days? Oh my gosh, that's a favorite, isn't it? Maybe some of you even have that question. So are we talking about a 24 literal? What's your thoughts, pastor? How did that happen? How is this book, how is the Bible infallible? How? Come on. Seriously? How does he actually heal today? How does that happen? And I'm just like, let's stop asking the question how. We're so worried about how things work and A plus B equals C. Like, we're so worried about the science of it all, we stop asking the question, why? First century Jews didn't care about how. How God created. They wanted to know why God created. The greater depths and meaning of life. We're so concerned with how something happens and what is going on, we forget and stop to ask ourselves, why does this even matter? Why is where you find meaning? Why is where you find purpose? Why is where you find the truth? How you may find some science, but friends, doesn't mean it works. Look at it. Look. They're literally amazed. They're in wonder. But they're not convicted of the truth in the gospel. We think we'll just believe it if we see it. Right? How many people have done, made, prayed that prayer? Lord, just give me a sign and all I have is yours. Right? 
We're always looking for signs. We want to see the how. If I just see a miracle, then I would believe. If I just saw something with my eyes, my heart would change. Friends, that doesn't always happen. (laughs) Jesus has a really interesting conversation in John 6. I I want to just jump there for a brief moment. He has a conversation with them, and people are asking him, like, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? Pretty point-blank question. What are you going to do for me? Huh? What magic tricks you got today, Jesus? How are you going to prove your worth? Right? What will you do? And Jesus says, very truly I tell you, it is Moses, right, who has who's given you the bread from heaven. But it is my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and goes into the world. Then he says, I am the bread of life. I'm sure many of you have heard this piece. It's John 6.30. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still don't believe. Yeah, so where's the bread, Jesus? Can we, can we eat that? It's like, You've seen me and you still don't believe right. Where's the bread? Like they're just, they're constantly looking for something. We're always looking for signs. We're not so different than this question. God, if you just show up here, then I'll, I'll give everything to you here. And he's like, it's not how it works. I'm not just some vending machine pulling out different signs for you and you and you. I'm after your heart. I'm after the thing that matters most. I want a relationship with you. I don't just want to be popping up miracles left, right, and center. And we're so worried about trying to find the sign that we're completely missing the Savior. We just want the gifts, not the giver. Friends, you know what? You win. Here's your sign. You're looking for one? Here's your sign. Jesus loves you. He has died on the cross for you. He desires a relationship with you. He wants to be Lord over all, not Lord a little bit or once in a while. Run to him. Run to him, please. We keep looking for signs and wonders. But it's actually wholeness we desire. It only comes from Jesus. Don't spend your whole life chasing signs. Spend it in a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ the Savior. That's where love is found. That's where purpose is found. That's where meaning is found. We don't need to just keep asking how. We'll just stay in a constant state of curiosity and never actually have completion and conviction and wholeness and joy. Are you hearing what I'm trying to say? Because I don't want to live that life of just wonder. Wonder should lead to something. Curiosity should lead to something, to the great joy and purpose found in Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's why, again, I don't think it's good to end this sermon at Acts 3, verse 10. If you go look them up, sermons on this, you'll always see it ends right at 10. But it says this, while the man held on to Peter and John, this is verse 11, all the people were astonished and they came running to the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. Yet you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see 
and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Just a gut-wrenching sermon, isn't it? But powerful. Powerful. He puts this whole thing into perspective. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned the holy and righteous one, even though Pilate was about to free him. It's all right here. It's this underlining issue to this whole piece, the reason why we want to sign out a Savior, the reason why we constantly forget how important it is to come to Jesus and have this moment with him. Why? Because we don't like to talk about sin. Sin. Peter is, like, he is not holding back any of these punches, is he? He's like, you killed him. And the reason I think he's saying you and not just we is because he's already reconciled in his heart. He's already had that reinstatement. He knows that, that three times that, that rooster crowed and three times he denied. He's, he's been through that and he's been reinstated by Jesus and now he's trying to explain to everyone else, you did this. You, you saw this happening. You were there. You know what took place. And I, think, I look at this and I think, yeah, like he's right. Friends, we forget the weight of the cross. I know we know what the cross is. I know that we, we think about it as we do communion like we thought about it last Sunday. But just pause for a moment here. Think of the weight of every sin of the world put on his shoulders. I don't like preaching it any more than the next person, but let's not pretend that it wasn't my sin, our sin, that he bore. I'm not... I'm not um, I'm not, like, forgiven in this. Like, it was, it was my fault. He, he took my mistakes and my pain and my sin and my shame. It was us. It was me who put him on the cross. And I'll never forget this moment. It was around Christmas time, and I was having a, conver- I was having a kind of a, a dinner with some family, some distant family, some relatives, some friends all around. And you know, at Christmas dinners with, like, lots of family, people you kind of know, you don't know, you don't talk politics and you don't talk religion, right? But like I said earlier, conversations that, that I, that I want to go one way go this way. And so, and so we found a way somehow, and we were talking about Jesus. And I don't know how we got there, but we got to the cross and different places. And all I remember is hearing is from with one person that I was talking to, well, I didn't bite the apple. I don't need Jesus. I didn't scream crucify him. I didn't put him on the cross. It wasn't me. And just some laughter and kind of some, some digs a little bit. I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget driving home feeling really deflated. Not defeated, just deflated. I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I just remember writing down in my journal. I still have it. I keep it close. May I never forget it was me who put him on that cross. I'm not saying our whole sermon should be focused on sin and how depraved we are. But friends, talking about sin doesn't give it more power. It actually shows how gracious and mighty and powerful our Savior is. Pretending like it's not real only pushes aside and actually, I think, devalues how beautiful and wonderful and incredible the cross really is. So when you say, oh, it's not a big deal, what are we actually saying? My sin isn't a big deal? Jesus took it on the cross for you and me. It is a big deal. It's a very big deal. But friends, not so big that it kept him down, right? It was it, like he rose again. Thank you, Lord. We sing songs about us all the time. I always quote it, my sin was great, but your love was greater. Church, 
Let's not focus in on sin. Let's focus on the Savior. But if we don't talk about it, if we don't see it, then what's the point? May I never forget it was me who put him on there. And it's hard. It's challenging. I have to be really vulnerable to say that, but it's the truth. Admitting your sin allows you to see that you need change. Allows you to see that you need to repent. Seeing your sin reminds you you need a Savior, and that's beautiful. And a Savior who, guys, doesn't just do a little bit of work, but does the whole work, the finished work, a work that brings victory for anyone who will receive it. But if our pride is so huge, if we just sit and demand signs, if we pretend like it's not a big deal, if we just come with amazement and curiosity, but don't let the Spirit bring conviction, we'll miss the whole thing. And that's why Peter is doubling down this. He even goes on. He's like, fellow Israelites, this is verse 17. I know you act in ignorance as did your leaders. But God fulfilled what he foretold, saying the Messiah would come and suffer. And then he says this in verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshment may come from the Lord. I want refreshment. I want safety. I want freedom. I want the weight to come off. And Paul, Peter's saying, listen, repent. Again, another word we don't really like, sin, repent. These were like, ooh. You brought a friend today and you're like, stop saying those words, pastor. But these words have so much purpose. Repent quite literally means to just turn around. Just turn around. That's, this, that's what he's saying here. Just turn around. Which, by the way, in a culture that's so focused on bettering yourself, five steps to a better me, three steps of this thing, 12 ways to regrow your hair. Whatever. Like, you get it, right? I'm on step two. Um, not working. We're so focused on doing better. So what's wrong with repentance then? Why, why, would we, we, why would we be scared of a word that says, this path leads to destruction, therefore I'm going to turn and run to Jesus. Running to repentance runs you into the loving arms of the Father that says, you don't need to try and fix all yourself. Let me do that. This weight is not good for you to carry. Let me carry that. Repentance in this in this framework here. And even in Acts 2, Peter uses the same word. It's actually a word of hope. It's not a word that to discourage you. It's a word that, that he uses, and it's a word of hope. And he, he was telling them that, that you might have done wrong, but they could turn around and be made right with God. And finally, Peter finds himself in trouble with John. The rulers have kind of brought him in. They all met there in Jerusalem, and, and, and the high priest was there, and lots of people from the high, the kind of important families were all there, and they had Peter and John brought before them, it says, and began to question them on what was going on. Verse 8, it says this in Acts 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, notice that, please. That's so important. Said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked of how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. Get, are you ready for this? You want to know what's going on right now? You don't want to know why this man was healed? You want to understand why we don't care what anyone else thinks? We're just going to keep doing what we're doing? It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you build as rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to, given to mankind by which we must be saved. And I'm here to just share with you today that before we get to the Acts that talks about boldness and faith and courage, before we get to, the, to, to Stephen, the martyr, and Paul's journey and all his bold, like, incredible moves of God and the church going, friends, we first have to see this. It starts with, with repentance. It starts with running to Jesus. So it starts with an understanding. The church wasn't born out of the, men, the strength of Peter and, and John. People weren't healed out of just their ability to preach and lay hands. I love how declarative it is. Then know this, all you people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ. It's him. He's the stone that you rejected, yet he became the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. Nowhere else, no thing else, nobody else, but Jesus. And as I reflect and as I pray and I ask, Lord, what, what are you saying out of Acts 3 and 4? And I want to be bold. I want to be like Peter. Lord, make me like Peter. I pray that prayer. Lord, make me like John who was there the whole time. Lord, that's who I want to be. And he said, hold on, hold on. You're forgetting someone else. Because the truth is, sometimes I'm not like Peter. And sometimes I'm not like John. Often. Often I am the man begging sitting, waiting for my miracle, hoping it'll happen in the material. Just hoping that a few more dollars, that's what my family needs. Just this, this school instead of this school, that's what I need. And we sit and we often look for a miracle in the material things rather than running to the Holy Spirit, running to Jesus, laying down our life and say, God, you have everything. I think that was the biggest pulling point for me as a, to become a Christian. I was so tired of trying to fix myself and failing. So try, tired, honestly, like physically tired of trying to keep up with this cultural status quo, this what society says is success and what isn't. But I was like, Lord, I've had enough. And I realized that I'm often the man just waiting for a miracle, waiting for a sign, waiting for that thing. And I'm here to tell you that, friends, you're not going to find the miracle you need, the wholeness you need in your soul from any sort of material thing that exists in this world. Notice that money was not going to fix this man's legs. You can read the Gospels and you will see men and women all the time who ran to doctors hoping for the next fix and it never worked. They needed Jesus. Notice that a caring, loving friend was not going to fix this man's legs. Is that a beautiful thing? Yes. Do we need them? Yes. Is that a gift from God? Yes. But it wasn't a miracle. It wasn't, the, it wasn't coming from a friend. We are like friends. We are losing young men to pornography and loneliness because we're, we're trying to fix our loneliness through, through things and through stuff. And I'm just here to say, like, we need Jesus. Friends, I think maybe today you've come in here feeling lonely and hurt and you've tried to clean yourself up and fix yourself. And this scripture is saying, listen, repent, run to the loving arms of Jesus. Don't forget it was me who put him on that cross and I know I need a savior and there is nothing wrong with that. So 
I don't want to fix my lust with something, fix my loneliness with this or my heartache with that. You're not alone in here if that's how you feel. You're not alone. You don't need more stuff, though. You don't need more materials. You need a refreshment from the Holy Spirit. You need salvation that only comes from Christ. You need a love that transforms the hardest heart in Jesus' name. My verse for this year, I don't really do words, but this is where I'll end today. And My verse this year was, was this, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons from the world. On the contrary, they have divine power, divine power to demolish strongholds. Friends, I just want to say to you today, one last time, don't try and use what the world has to offer to fix how you're feeling. Don't try and, and, and run to this or run to that. And listen, I'm not trying to demolish or deny things like counseling and supportive friends, or anything like that. That's what I'm saying. You can be a great giver with your wallet as well. Like those are all beautiful things. I'm suggesting that nothing else there is nothing that should ever be put above the work of Jesus in our life. And without that work, without that salvation, everything else will fail us. It's the oldest story in the book. It's Solomon. It's different people all over. We see it again and again. And I want to encourage you today to run to Jesus. To run to Jesus. Let me pray over you. If you would, just close your eyes today. Just take a moment with the Lord. It is my heart today that you would actually just search yourself, clear any thoughts of anything else I've said for a moment. And if you know for yourself, you have just been running to thing after thing after thing, hoping and praying that the next material item you, you possess will be the answer for your problems. If you have been trying constantly to fix yourself, just pray you'd come to the Holy Spirit now. you come to Jesus. you declare his goodness over your life. You'd receive his loving mercy. His grace for you today is very real. For the very first time, if you're saying, I'm so tired of running this race alone. I'm tired of just doing it by myself. I want the saving grace of Jesus. I want his love, his power, his wonderful mercy to cover my heart, to change me and transform me from the inside out. Would you just throw up your hand? Would you just throw up your hand so I can pray with you? This is it. I'm tired. I'm done running. I'm doing it. I see hands. Yeah. I see you in the balcony in the back. I see you. Hand, hand, hand. Yeah. I want to pray with you, and we're going to pray again after this. Lord, right now, I just pray for these people who are saying, this is it. I'm so tired. Maybe even in your own words, if you had your hand raised, you can just say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I tried to go out of this whole thing on my own. Lord, I'm so sorry that it was me who put you up there too. But Lord, I thank you that your grace covers all. Be my savior. Just under your breath even. You don't have to make it loud. Just under your breath say, Lord, be Lord over all. Be in my life. I give mine to you. Thank you for the cross. I receive you now and I repent from where I'm headed and I run to you, Jesus. Go, just go ahead and say, Lord, I repent and I run to you, Jesus. And if you're in this room and you 
you're a professing Christian and you know he is the way, but lately you have been stuck chasing and believing that material things are going to be the answer. I think there is a real need for repentance in your own heart. I know I had to do that. Would you just consider that right now as we wrap up? If that's been you, just posture yourself, open your arms, raise a hand, but let's do that together. Let's pray and say, Lord, I don't want to run to material things for miracles. If stuff has replaced the Savior, let's repent of that. So you can lift your hands, you can open your heart, but I want to pray for you now. Jesus, this, this morning, we don't want to be a church. We don't want to be followers of you, Lord, that, that get caught up in stuff and things, that silver and gold, Lord, will somehow be a greater God than you, Lord. We know that's not true. And so we just repent of that and we run to you, Jesus, saying, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, use me. Holy Spirit, I need you now more than ever. Jesus, I remember here and I declare that you are my cornerstone, that everything else is built on you in Jesus' name. But I will not keep running this race without you at the helm, Lord. And I just pray right now over every person who just recognizes that in their own heart, that they've been running this race trying to make stuff God, and they know it cannot work that way. So Lord, right now in Jesus' name, I just pray that that would be gone, that we would be replaced, Lord, again with the cornerstone, that we would recommit that and say, Lord, we stand firmly on you and nothing else. We stand firmly on you and nothing else because we know in all of our hearts that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said... Come on, and everybody said...